0: and open up your Bible to John 6, John 6, 35 through 40. just a few moments, we'll have an opportunity after the sermon and after we respond in worship to celebrate the gift of new life and birth, to celebrate and welcome some new members to commission and celebrate what God has done in our FORGE program. But before that, today, we conclude our series on heaven. And it feels like a strange week. It feels strange to be preaching on heaven. It feels so timed to the last couple of weeks, and yet it was planned to preach on this two years ago. And I think that is a testament to the enduring relevance, importance, and vitality for the Christian life to be one of frequent meditation, reflection, and consideration of heaven. Because I've been saying, and, and I mean it still, I don't think we think about heaven enough. I know we certainly don't talk about heaven enough. I think that's often because we're trying to not think about death or trying to avoid death or to postpone death. But there are times, like the last couple of weeks, where once again the enemy, the heartache, the reality of death comes crashing into view whether we wanted it to or not. And in these moments, we once again ask the question of forever. We once again ask the question of eternity. And so we are going to conclude the sermon series today with what feels like a really fundamental question, what seems like a really basic question, and it is, but it's crucial. Who goes to heaven? How do we get there? who goes to heaven and how do we get there? And I'm confident that there are some in this room that have dabbled in religion. You've dabbled in religious things and you've kind of maybe made a whole life of it. It's not hard to do in Texas. If you grew up in the South, it's not hard to just kind of become a part of the culture of religion and maybe that's where you're at. You've kind of always been around religion or religious things, but the Lord is inviting us today as he is every day on the Lord's day, to come to Jesus and live. Not just to be satisfied with mere or vain religiosity, but to come to Jesus, to see and taste that he is good, to experience the salvation of God, and to make your home with God in Christ forever. So I want us to look at John 6, 35 through 40. I'm going to read it for us. And after I read it, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. You're invited to respond by saying, thanks be to God. The reason we do this isn't vain or dead ritual. It's because God has spoken and we want to give thanks for his word. So let me read John 6, 35 through 40. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Who goes to heaven? Is heaven merely just the forever VIP lounge of those who just did good enough? Is heaven just the place where those whom you like or those who are like you end up with you in kind of a social clique forever? Will heaven be full of the kind of people that you actually presently enjoy today? I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of uncertainties. I think in many ways we will be surprised by just all who we find in heaven. There are probably people that you will find yourself In the sinfulness of our flesh, despising this side of heaven that you will greet with delight when you're there. Who goes to heaven? Well, at a fundamental answer, Jesus' words right here are sufficient. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, but whoever believes in me shall never thirst. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And what does it say? And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. When we ask the question, who goes to heaven, the answer begins with all those who belong to God in Jesus. All those who belong to God in Jesus. And what God is saying here, what Jesus is saying is this, I'm not going to lose anybody. Charles Spurgeon called God the hound of heaven. He seeks out his People, God sends his people into the mercy and grace of Christ Jesus. How does he do this? How does God do this work? Because he's still doing it, even now, even today, here and around the world, God is doing this work. How does he do it? Well, he softens hard hearts. He softens hard hearts. You and I are not born into this world with a heart that is soft towards God. We are not born into this world with good soil for the seeds of righteousness. We are born into this world with fallow soil, dead and arid lands. And when God begins to call us to Jesus, the first part of that work is he softens their hearts. He softens their hearts. He softens their hearts. What does that look like real time? All of a sudden, spiritual curiosity begins to emerge where it had not been. All of a sudden, you begin to feel conviction and guilt over things that you once did not feel conviction and guilt over. All of a sudden, you begin to experience desire for the things of the Lord and disgust with the things of the world. That is a sign that God's softening of your heart is taking place. And in this soft heart, which is an act of God the beginning of the work of salvation, from there flows conviction. Conviction. Conviction which leads to repentance. Turning away from sin and turning towards God. This is the first call of Jesus in the Gospels. Did you know it? Jesus' first words in his public ministry are what? Repent. Repent. Repent, why? For the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance is turning away from our first by nature loyalty, which is to sin, self, and Satan. It's turning away from that. And it's turning towards God. God softens our heart, which leads us to repentance, and he does all of this often by demonstrating our desperation. More often than not, God brings us to the end of ourselves and then we realize there is no hope for me but God. There is no salvation for me but God. These loves have failed me. These joys have failed me. These hopes have failed me. They have been anchored in the wrong thing. God brings us to the end of ourselves and shows us the beginning of life with him. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Why does Jesus use this language? Because it is perfect language to encapsulate the fact that there are desires in you and I that nothing in this world will satisfy but God that we can have a hunger met, a thirst met. Many of us will spend our whole life trying to fill that hunger and thirst with everything but God, and yet God has created us with those deep desires so that they can find fulfillment in God and God alone. That's why Jesus uses this language of desire, of need, because he knows what we so often forget, which is that our fundamental need is for one thing and one thing only, and it is God. And God's presence is what you and I were created to live for. It's what you and I were created to live in. And yet because of sin, we experience separation from the very beginning. I wonder if any of you today find yourself hungry and unsatisfied, thirsty and forever parched. I wonder if you find yourself dissatisfied with the things you thought would satisfy you and you feel like you've been in that cycle for a long time. Because if that's where you find yourself, Jesus speaks to you today and says, Come to me, and I will satisfy the deepest desires of your heart, which are not for material or outcome. They are for a person and a presence, and it is him. Who goes to heaven? All those who belong to God. And how do we belong to God? Well, look at Jesus' words in verse 37 and 38. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You see, God makes us hungry and thirsty. And when we come to realize that all the old things we use to satisfy this hunger and thirst don't work any longer, at that moment, Jesus is waiting with an invitation extended, and he's saying, come to me. Come to me. You see, it is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who invites us into the home of God's salvation. Then who is invited into this home? Look at what it says in verse 37. Does it say, all those who are well will come to me and I will never cast them out. Does it say whoever is already good to go, who comes to me, I will never cast out. Does it say whoever is wealthy and comes to me, I will never cast out. Does it say to me whoever is poor comes to me and I will never cast out. Does it say whoever looks like me and comes to me, I will never cast out. Does it, ever, does it say whoever doesn't look like me comes to me and I will never cast out. No, it says whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The home of God's salvation The door of Jesus Christ is open not just to the put together, not just to those who have gotten it right, not just to the cleaned up and sanctified, not just to the well. No, God's healing home in Christ is open to the sick, the shamed, the sinner, and yes, the pretend saint. Now, I don't know where you fall on that list, but you're somewhere there. I don't know if you most closely resonate with the sinner, totally aware of the record of your failures, in constant dread that someone might see the real you. I don't know if you resonate with the shamed, feeling subject to the ways that you have been sinned against, forever marked by a scarlet letter that stains your conscience. I don't know if you resonate with the sick, feeling like I am so feeble and frail with nothing to offer. I don't know that if you resonate with the pretend saint, that you feel like, man, a lot of your life with God is just keeping up the mask for others who see you. I don't know where you fall on that list, but you're there. We are not born into fellowship with God, nor do we stumble into it. We enter into it by grace through faith in Jesus. And yet the door of his home is open to all who will come to Jesus. Let me say it like this. The only people who end up in heaven are those who know they have no place being there. The only people who end up in heaven are those who know that by nature, they do not belong there. Those who will end up filling heavenly city Jerusalem will be those who when asked to testify, why are you here, will say, Jesus. That'll be their only answer. And if you think you have a better one, I would reckon with God with how you might answer that question. How do we get to heaven? If the door is open to all who will come to Jesus, how do we get there? Because I'll tell you, I'm ready. I am. Not a joke. Not a threat. Not faux authenticity. There are some days when I'm not. There are some days when it seems like I might be able to make a version of heaven I like a lot here. And then there are times in which that illusion is shattered. And I am ready. Either to go there or for it to be brought here. And so it is You may not care how we get to heaven, but I do. Jesus, in verse 39 and 40, says this. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. How do we get to heaven? Christ brings us there. Like Moses leading the people of Israel out of Egypt, Christ Jesus leads us out of unspeakable years of bondage in a broken place into the land of God's good promises fulfilled. God keeps us in Christ. Jesus says, I will lose nothing of all that God has given me. You see, Christ keeps his people He holds us all the way to the end. This is good news for the wondering and struggling heart, for those who feel faithless. Christ keeps us. He keeps his people. He holds us and he will not abandon us nor forsake us even when we seek to run from him. That's the faithfulness of Christ Jesus. And maybe this is where you are. Maybe you feel like there was one time in which you really could experience the nearness of God in Christ, but those days have long since passed. And you feel faithless. You feel like you've strayed. You feel like you've walked away. And you're just now trying to keep up the pretense of what was, but you have abandoned the hope of what could be. If that is where you are, God has not forgotten you. God will not forsake you. Repent and come to Jesus. Live with him. Return to him. Abide in him. God keeps us in Christ until the end. God brings us to heaven in and through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10 says we have confidence to enter the new and heavenly places. We have confidence to enter the holy place in heaven, in God's blessed presence. Why? Because of the new and living way that Christ has made available to us. God doesn't just bring us to heaven in Christ. He keeps us in Christ until the last day. Our resurrected bodies, the ones that we will be given in the end of all things will come because Christ has received his first. In verse 40, Jesus says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, everlasting life, forever life. And it is true. It is true that for those who look upon the sun, they are saved. And yet many remain covering their eyes, pretending that if they cannot see it, it must not be real. But that is not what God's word says. The reality and truth of heaven is good and true, whether you believe it to be or not. And yet God is inviting you to have your hands pulled away, to have the mask fall down, to look upon Jesus Christ and live. And it requires surrender. And I think this is why many people are hesitant to give their life to God in Jesus. Even when they say, I have given my life to God in Jesus. Because we know that if we speak that truthfully, if we speak it with a sincere and honest heart, we know that it requires the surrender of all of our life. Not just the fractions that we're okay giving away, all the parts of us, even the parts of us that we would remain ours, and yet there is no life with God in Jesus unless you confess to God, I am no longer my own. I do not belong to me, I belong to God in Christ. And whether I live or I die, I am Jesus's. Surrender is what is required You might be familiar with this quote from the missionary and martyr Jim Elliot. He says this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's true. Heaven requires the full surrender of our life. There is no other way. There is no other way. So I want to speak to three groups of people in here today. I want to speak to to you that say, I am in Christ Jesus. I've experienced salvation. It's who I am. I am a follower of Jesus. What do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do with this message? Well, first, I want your heart to be bent towards thanksgiving and praise. I want your worship to be commensurate, to be proportional to the gift that's been given to you. Not lackluster, not half-hearted, but proportional to everlasting life with God forever. That's That's my first plea for those who have come to salvation in Christ. The second is that your praise will lead to proclamation. You have been given a gift, a gift insurmountable, an incredible gift. And God has entrusted you with a commission, a sacred commission, and that is to magnify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by giving this gift to others. If you look in the seat back in front of you, okay? This is not where I ask you for money if you're from another church. Just someone to prepare you for that. I don't want you, I don't want, I don't want you to be thinking you're about to get T-boned for a giving request. You're not. Okay? If you look at the back in front of you, there's this little card and it says, Who's your one? God has put people in your life and He has put them there for you to share the gospel with them. That's why they're there. I don't know who they are in your life. I'm not your neighbor's neighbor. I'm not your co worker's co worker. I'm not your friend's friend. You're your friend's friend. You're your co worker's co worker. You're your neighbor's neighbor. I don't know who God's put in your life, but God has put people in your life and he has put them there so that you might give to them the good news that you believe. The good news that leads to salvation. And so here is what, if, you are some, if you're not a Christian, don't worry about this. But if you are a Christian, I would just implore you to consider taking this, writing somebody's name down and praying for them. That's it. That's it. Just pray for them. Pray for them. Show and tell them about the love of God in Jesus. That's how you can take faithful action. I know that we get used to hearing sermons and doing nothing with them. I understand. I'm as guilty of that as anyone is. Here is something you can do. We have considered the joy of everlasting life in heaven. Go forth and share it. That's an invitation that God gives to us. The Bible presupposes that we desire heaven and want to tell other people about it. So if you're a Christian, here is faithful response. Here's something you can do. There's nothing magic. This is cardstock. I didn't didn't, didn't anoint these with water. They're not even prayed over. It's paper. You're going to write it on here with ink. There's nothing magical about this except a commitment to say, you know what, I'm going to pray for somebody. Gosh, if this is the greatest gift and I can give it away for free, why wouldn't I? I want to speak to those hiding secret sin. This doesn't motivate you because right now your life is marked by things. You're terrified to speak out loud. And that's what shame does. It silences you. It's one of the primary impacts of shame in the world. It silences you. And so some of you look at this and you're like, I I don't know what to do with this. I, I think I'm a Christian, but man, there's a whole secret part of me that I just keep hidden. I wanna invite you, repent. Whatever you think is better in the dark is worse. Everything is better in the light. And it's painful to step into it, but it refines us, it sanctifies us, and there is only joy in the light. There is no joy in the darkness. Turn away From sin. Come to Jesus. And I want to speak to those who all of this feels so off. There's no hope for heaven. There's no hope that maybe there's salvation. Maybe there's a callous heart or maybe there is just a life of apathy. I want to pray that God would pull you into faith. And that you would come to Jesus experience his free gift of salvation in Christ. The door to heaven is open for all those in Christ Jesus. And the King is coming, and he's bringing a kingdom that is not of this world. He's bringing a better kingdom. He's bringing a better world. And he's inviting all of us to be participants in it. But it requires the full surrender of our life, not half-hearted measures. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We ask, God, that you would bring us into faith in Christ, that you would shape our lives, that you would root into our lives hope and belief. I pray, Lord, that as we worship and as we celebrate in the moments ahead, I ask, God, that you would anchor our heart in the truth of your word. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you stand with me as we receive the Lord's Supper together?